today's passage is 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks, Kristen. Well, I wonder, have you got or have you ever had a nickname? Um, Where I used to work in Manchester, pretty much everyone had a nickname, and to the extent you didn't know what people's real name was. But I reckon the best nicknames... Oh, sorry, I forgot I had this on. There's so much second nature now, aren't we? That's better. Yeah, I reckon the best nicknames are ones that really help you to understand who someone is or what they're like. So one of the orderlies where I worked, everyone called him Big and Daft because he was big and daft or... Or just big for short. Uh, one of our bosses, she was known as Cruella. You work that one out for yourself. There was Chunky Roy, Sexy Dave, and there was a particularly miserable person everyone just called Happy. Now, I know you're wondering, my nickname was Colon, if you must know. <laughs> Mr. Oscopy to you. That's it. Anyway. I'm hoping it was just a play on words. But today we're looking at some nicknames, a couple, of, some, a couple of nicknames for Jesus and some for us as his disciples. Some nicknames that really get to the heart of who we are. And they're worth looking at because who we think Jesus is and who we think we are, they have a profound effect on the way we live life. And, and how we deal with being given a hard time for being Christians. Because that's Peter's audience for this letter. Christians in what is now modern-day Turkey, facing a really tough time because they're now living for Jesus. So we're probably not looking at kind of hardcore physical persecution or arrest, but the same kind of being socially outcast and spoken and thought badly of as we are increasingly facing today. So just to recap what Peter said so far, and the easiest way to remember is with the images he's used, 
So gold. If you look, think about gold, a barrel of gold, and remember that we've got a treasure that won't fade. We're saved. We're experiencing that in part now, in the anticipation of full grace when Jesus returns, being right with God. So gold and a baby, if you think of a baby. We're reborn as children of God. And that means we're to love each other deeply, being holy because that's just how our weird family rolls, craving the spiritual milk of knowing and loving God more and more through his word. So that's your recap. But that future grace we're looking forward to, that's great for the future, but Peter's audience is suffering in their here and now, facing harassment and slander, generally under heaps of pressure for being followers of Jesus. And I've seen the movie Titanic enough times to know that how we react under pressure goes a long way to showing off who we really are. Peter wants to encourage his hearers to persevere in living holy lives to show God's goodness off, especially when they're under pressure. Next week, we'll get on to the practicalities of how to do that in various settings. But in this week's passage, uh, Peter's laying out the foundation for that holy living that shows off the gospel. And it's all about the realities of who we are, our true identity, what our life is really all about, as disciples of Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus here today, my prayer is that we'll leave here secure in knowing who we are as part of God's precious chosen people and that that will be the spark and the ongoing fuel to keep declaring God's praises with all that we are and all that we do. So there's an outline. If you're into that kind of thing, here's our heading. Um, We're looking at Jesus, our solid foundation, looking at his nicknames of the living stone and the cornerstone, how he's precious to God but rejected by humans. Then we'll look at our solid identity, solid foundation, then solid identity. So describing our nicknames of living stones, being built into his spiritual temple, royal priesthood, God's special possession. Uh, And then we'll finish with then and now. First then, Jesus is our solid foundation. So we've had the images of gold, of infants, and now the, the prevailing metaphor, if you like, is stones. So verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. So that's verse 4. And then verse 6. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So there's a metaphor of stones and temple. So ever since God had rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, God had been with them in in a special, physically present kind of way. At first in the temporary tent, tabernacles that they had to move around with them, and later in the temple in Jerusalem. But verse 6 there is quoting Isaiah 28. Uh, And this is where God's given Isaiah a message against God's people. Because they're pretty pleased with themselves. So long as they've got God in his temple, they think no harm can come to them. And they can just do whatever they want, live without reference to him. So Isaiah prophesies against them for presuming on God whilst their hearts are far from him. So that's where it quotes from. So God says, 
look, you can come up with your own schemes for saving yourselves. They won't work. This cornerstone that I'm putting in place, that is how you can be saved. And that way alone, like it or lump it. And today's passage and then and Ephesians 2.20 tells us that it's Jesus fulfilling this passage, that Jesus is the cornerstone. So to explain cornerstone a bit, if you were, um, if you were an ancient, the ancient era, say you were the Roman governor, say Stephenus Marshallicus wants to build his, his latest big vote winning building project. Well, the stonesmiths would start at the quarry, pick out a large stone of the best quality that receives the most attention and labor. Because this is the reference piece for the rest of the building. This is the straight edge, the direction the walls will go in, the position of the building. If this is, if they get this bit wrong, the rest of the building is wrong. So the purpose of the temple was for God to be amongst his people in a direct way. But Jesus has come and fulfilled that role. So that's why in John's gospel, you notice John's gospel is in a bit of a different order. He, his first account of Jesus' public ministry is the account of Jesus in the temple, uh, of Jesus clearing out the merchants and the money changers and making this extraordinary claim. So from John 2, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. So being able to approach God and be in relationship with him is no longer through a building, through dead stones. It's through Jesus, through his death and resurrection back to life. He's the living stone that we come to in faith to restore us to God. Um, In that same workplace in Manchester I was telling you about, um, one year the department was getting extended. It was out into sort of a courtyard, and we could see through our window the building work going on. And this wall started to get put up. And we were thinking, this new extension doesn't look big enough for all the things that are going to go in it. It doesn't seem to quite match the plans. And sure enough, one builder had started off bricklaying in the wrong spot and managed to get a whole day's worth of wall up before the mistake was spotted and then you had to pull it all down again. You see, we're all building on some foundation or other, but building on the wrong foundation, having a wonky cornerstone, can lead to disaster. So I reckon in our Western culture, the foundation that we tend to build on is being happy whatever that means, sort of an internal personal happiness. So if you think historically, say my granddad, he worked in a factory making chains. It was probably repetitive work. But if I'd have asked him if he had job satisfaction, he'd have probably said, yes, because it's steady employment. So it puts food on the table. I can clothe my family, can pay the bills. The job satisfaction then was based on being able to care for others. It was kind of external to yourself. But if you ask somebody now, do you have job satisfaction? What do we talk about? Well, we talk about how it makes us feel internally, whether we feel fulfilled by it. 
Now, happiness is nice, of course. I'm not knocking being happy. But it's a rubbish foundation to build our lives on. It's so temporary and brings us into conflict with anything that might well be necessary or true or right. But we perceive as threatening our personal psychological happiness. In any case, pursuing happiness, for happiness' sake, doesn't work. Any way, any measure of society's happiness right now, however you choose to measure it, Western societies are more miserable than ever. But Peter's audience of oppressed Christians, us oppressed Christians now, need to hear this because following Jesus will inevitably bring us struggles and strife. It will bring unhappiness because Jesus is precious to God but rejected by humans and so are we. Jesus is precious to God but rejected by humans and so are we. So just listen, I'll read these verses again. Listen out for the word precious in there. So verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. For in script, verse 6, for in scriptures it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them to fall. So verse 7, that's quoting, so the, Peter does a bit of an Old Testament overview of the word stone, it seems. Verse 7 is quoting Psalm 118, verse 8. Uh, sorry, verse 8 is quoting Isaiah 8. And so Peter's remembering where else in the Bible this stone metaphor, metaphor occurs. And that's a really good thing to do when you're reading the Bible. Think, well, what, if there's a overriding theme or image think well where else in the bible have i seen this and what he finds is that this image of choosing a cornerstone really helps us to understand jesus and helps us to understand the christian life jesus is precious to god chosen by him yet humanity rejects us rejects him we are chosen by god and precious to him yet humanity will often reject us The stone that is truly the perfect foundation, the way God has chosen to save, when rejected, becomes what people stumble and fall over, what condemns them. Um, we've been watching um, on the Olympics, the sports climbing, and on the bouldering wall, they get like a few minutes to look at this impossible-looking wall and work out how they're going to try and climb it. And it's a great camaraderie, so they all talk to each other about how they might do it. Well, one of them, none of them managed to complete it. And they reckon it's because one of them came up with the wrong solution, the wrong foundation, if you like, and they all tried that. Instead of the simple, straightforward route the, the route setter had thought about. Set off with the wrong foundation, and that condemned them to failure. So Jesus is the only way to have a right relationship with God. That is the solid foundational truth, the cornerstone that you can't get around. That you just can't budget. There's no way to be saved and forgiven except through Jesus. 
And why is that? Well, Peter will go on to explain um, from 2.24. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus, precious to God, endured being rejected and crucified so that he could pay the price for our rejection of God. If you want to know God, there's no way except through Jesus. So when people rage against us, when people treat Jesus and belief in him like it's stupid or bigoted or whatever, remember, Jesus is precious to God, to God, and you are so precious to him that he gave up his life for you. If it, when people are having a go at you, I found it helpful to think, well, nobody who's having a go at me has died for me. It cuts through all the noise and fine-sounding arguments to just say, yeah, but they've not died for me. Jesus has. And whilst he might be unpopular, he's precious and he's true. So that's who Jesus, our cornerstone, is. And who we are, our identity, is wrapped up in and joined to who he is. So a solid identity, that's our next heading, solid identity. So Peter applies this stone and temple metaphor to us. We're living stone being joined with Jesus. So verse 5, as you come to him, you also, living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So in the past, the temple was the meeting point between God and humanity. That was the Old Testament sacred site staffed by priests who would approach God's place of special presence on behalf of the people. But now we, the church, we are now the temple. So every Christian is a brick in the new spiritual temple that God is building so our primary identity then, who we are, what our lives are all about, is as one of these living stones joined to, resting on, following the lead of our cornerstone, Jesus. Together. So God's meeting place with his people is no longer a single physical place. It's in us by his spirit. And especially when we come together. So even before COVID, our church more than most understands that where we gather is not so important as that we gather. So in here in our first year, we had a, just a perfect queue. Um, we've had power cuts. We've had, we had to meet in the pub one week. We arrived one week and there was a pirate ship on the stage. We're kind of like, 
had alternative venues. We've moved with the, um, with the changes, haven't we? Rolled with the punches. But if you ever visit a cathedral or something like that, there's often a sign saying, um, be quiet because this is a sacred space. A sacred space. Rubbish. And in the church I grew up going to is, you know, traditional Anglican church. Um, in the very front there, there was, like, normally by communion, just sort of on the stage bit, but right at the front of the church, there was a really ornate rail and a really ornately decorated, um, covered altar. And it was never said, but it was this sort of tacit idea that that space was somehow special, holy, sacred. Well, they're all cobblers. Rubbish. Just part of the building. There is no sacred building. There is no especially holy place. We are living stones. We are God's meeting place with us, in us. And yet somehow especially so when we gather together. Because being a brick on your own isn't very impressive, is it? This picture of God building us up together as his temple, it's a collective thing. Now, when we do have to be online only, like that is a thing that we're going to keep coming across probably. I do encourage you to watch, do your best to interact with each other. It's a good thing, but we never want to say it's a full substitute. We never want to say it's an adequate long-term replacement for gathering in person. And I'm preaching to the converted here because you're here. So, But heaven, heaven knows nothing, nothing of the kind of Christianity where you treat church as a thing you occasionally fit in around your plans um, to get the occasional spiritual top up. See, we saw in last week's passage that we're called to love one another deeply. And how can we do that? We don't even know each other's names. And we can feel very fragile as a church, can't we? Um, But of everything that's going on this Sunday morning, to everyone out there, um, our gathering probably seems a bit insignificant, pathetic even. But the church, us gathering together as living stones, well, we're at the centre for God's eternal plans for the world. So is that how you think about yourself? Is that how you think about Trinity Church Woodcroft? Because this morning, in Woodcroft, this is the most important thing happening. Right here. Not only are we God's spiritual temple, we're also the priests that work in it. So verse 5, you also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. And what are these spiritual sacrifices? Um, verse 9 fleshes it out. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Uh, this is picking up in, uh, on language from Exodus 19. 
where God picks out Israel as his people. So Exodus 19, thanks Graham. Uh, so they're at Mount, they've come out of Egypt, been through the wilderness, they're at Mount Sinai, fire and all that. God says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So not because the Israelites are doing it, but just because God chose them, they became his precious possession. And as that possession, their job was to mediate God to the nations around him, to show him off, to keep declaring his praises about how good he is and all the good things that he'd done for them. And now we are living stones. We are especially chosen, treasured priests. Is that how you think of yourself as a priest? When I was leaving my secular job to go to Bible college, the most common question I was asked was like, oh, well, what do we call you now? As in reverend or pastor or father or something like that. Colin, I would say. Just call me Colin. Because I'm no more a priest than you are. You know, I'll start turning up in robes and a dog collar if you do. Okay? That's our deal. Uh, I was part of a lesson here at the school with um, Marty Fox, the chaplain, uh, sorry, the college pastor. And I was asked, why don't you wear um, a long robe and a dog collar? And I said, well, unless you're part of that uh, tradition of seeing that, it just looks weird. And and I don't want anything to be a barrier to hearing the gospel. So I just wear what's normal for an old fat like me. But the deeper answer is, I don't want to dress differently because we're all priests. Now, yes, some with the appropriate gifts should be set aside to teach and to lead. But we're all chosen. We're all precious. We've all been picked out that we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Notice our declaring praises is based on who we are now, about our, our on our identity as chosen ones. So normally we sing praises in church, yes, and singing is a special thing to do that we miss. But we're called to praise God with our whole life. So you don't come to church to start worshipping. You come to church to carry on worshipping and that the difference being the service is where we can do that together. You know, this service without you here is a different thing, a different thing of worship to one with you here. But church, this Sunday morning, is to be a continuation of, a kind of a reflection, kind of a highlights package of the worship that's been going on in, our, in the, God's holy temple, in us, which church, wherever we are all week. So how do we do that in our week? How do we worship, uh, sing God's, uh, speak God's praises with our lives? Well, next week, as I said, well, Peter gets into what this looks like in practical ways, in the way we relate to people in different settings. But for now, Peter finishes this section with a then, then and now. This is our final heading, then and now. Our message of praises, our story to keep telling 
is verse 9, being called out of darkness into the wonderful light of personal right relationship with God. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is our story. Darkness to light. On our own, to becoming living stones joined to Jesus. We were facing getting our just desserts, and now we've received mercy. Jesus is our cornerstone, precious to God, the foundation on which we're to rest and to build or else stumble over. We are his living stones joined to Jesus as we come to him in faith. God living in us by his spirit, building us up as his temple. We as church are his his holy ground. We are his sacred site. He lives in us. And it's our privilege to declare his praises and tell his story with our whole lives and all of who we are. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Jesus, our cornerstone. Lord, I pray you bring to mind um, ways in which our lives are going off his plan, becoming detached from him, how we're trying to be bricks going out on our own. And just help us return in faith to Jesus. And I thank you that he is precious and we are precious to you and chosen by you. And please help us to endure uh, when we're rejected by the world. And please help us this very week to declare your praises with all of our lives. Amen. Uh, John is going to lead us in prayer.